Hey everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have more of a conversation than an interview with a friend of mine, Mike Robbins, who's been on the show before. He has a new book out right now, which is so timely. It's called, We're All In This Together, Creating a Team Culture of High Performance, Trust, and Belonging. And one of the things he talks about in that book is creating an environment with psychological safety so that people really feel safe in a work environment. We talk about safety in relationships, but feeling safe at work is equally as important and inclusion. And Mike just has a really wonderful perspective on a lot of things. And so I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation with him. For the past 20 years, he's been a sought after speaker and consultant who delivers keynotes and seminars for some of the top organizations in the world. Lots of big clients like Wells Fargo, eBay, Harvard, you know, he's important. (laughs) He has lots of big name clients like Google, Wells Fargo, Harvard, Gap, so many more. He and his work have been featured in the New York Times and Harvard Business Review, as well as on NPR and ABC News. He's also a husband and the father of two girls. Again, the name of his book is We're In This Together. And that's true. We're all in this together. Little announcement before we dive in. Our Love Amplified live three and a half day retreat in Austin, Texas, September 24th through 27th is on. It's going to be awesome. I am just visioning that we will be in a place where we can have live events and trust us. If we can't, we'll make it right by you. We'll figure out a game plan if we can together get together live. But I know that it's going to be so, so, so important for us to be able to come and grow together and heal and learn together as well. So all the info is at christinehassler.com slash retreat. I'm co-teaching it with my hubby. Expect breath work, meditation, processing, freeing, liberation, love, 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 lots of connection and filling your soul tank back up. Again, it's christinehassler.com slash retreat. Come alone, come with your partner, come with a friend, come with a family member. Just come and join us there. It's open to everyone. And now on to my talk with my old friend, Mike Robbins. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to connect. It's really good to connect you. You are one of those people that I feel incredibly close to. We've been friends for a while, but we've never met in person. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? I always think about that too. Yeah, we've never actually, and you know, probably not for a while here, but at some point, some point we will see each other and high five and hug and all that stuff yes. like, like we used to, right? Yes. Yes. Like we used to. Yeah. And before we started recording, you were talking about the, <laughs> the timeliness of your new book that came out. Yeah. We're all in this together. And it wasn't yeah. a book that you were like, oh, let me just write this book. It was a book that you were almost called to write Some, something yeah. internally was like said to you, I must write this book in 2020. Why do you think that nudge came in so strong? Well, and here's the thing, and you, you, I'm sure you can appreciate this. I don't know. We, I don't know that we've talked that much about this though, as an author, like I love the work and I've been speaking and coaching for years. This is my fifth book. I actually really don't love to write. I find Mm -hmm. it very challenging. I'm an extrovert. I like being around people. I love communicating, sitting down to write. And especially a book is just like dangerous for my own psyche quite honestly, just because I go down some really dark paths and go into, you know, oh, and suck and who cares and all of that stuff. Right. And so when I finished my last book, bring your whole self to work, it came out in 2018. And I was like, I'm good. 
I'm a, I'll, another four or five years, maybe if I get another idea, you know, and my <laughs> wife, Michelle and my girls, they were like, yeah, dad, no, no, you're good. <laughs> I get a little crazy right around yeah. the writing and then the releasing and the whole bit. But like three weeks after it came out, Christine, it was like, I got this huge download and I literally wanted to pretend like I didn't. And it kept coming and it kept coming. And I was, if you'd see me walking down the street, you thought I was a crazy person. Cause I was like, shut up, leave me alone mm. like this. And it was like, write another book. It's called, we're all in this together and it needs to come out in 2020. Mm. And it was like picking up on, you know, my work focuses a lot on authenticity, a lot on teams and leaders, you know, creating psychological safety. So, you know, people can really be themselves. And, but there was something really strong about, yes, this is about continuing on that work, but it's also speaking to the moment in our country and in our world where we've Mm -hmm. gotten so divided and there's Mm -hmm. so much us versus them energy, Mm -hmm. which I know from my work of studying human beings and human systems, as well as teams and groups that like, that's the death of communities and of groups and of teams is when we get into this us versus them. Like, and again, I get it. I understand it from a psychological standpoint, from a sort of sociological and anthropological standpoint. But like, I've always been sort of wired in a way that without sounding naive, I'm the one that sits in the middle of the group and is like, wait a minute. So who's the them exactly? Yeah. Yeah. And And it's, this is a tough one because I understand why people eat to repress their emotions. I understand why people who've been abused, abuse others. It's like, we we understand it. Yep. Get it, but understanding it doesn't change it. And I think no. where we all are in right now is, okay, a lot of people are angry. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are hurt. Yes. The injustices in our world are being highlighted. Mm-hmm. And there is, <laughs> you can, we can no longer ignore them or pretend they're not there. Right. And we see right before our very eyes, the division in an election year, which if we look back to previous election years, this not, not to this degree, I think the pandemic before all this was just the perfect storm, Yeah, but this seems to happen. It does. And it seems in some way like, uh, like impossible to fix. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I guess we can kind of start with organizations and, you know, on the micro and then back it out to the macro and looking at society. How do you navigate the us versus them terrain? What's the way out? Well, look, I mean, without oversimplifying it, there's one, there's a simple distinction that I've, I've used working with teams for, for many years. And, you know, my background, we talked about this the last time I came on your show, but like I was an athlete for a long time. Right. I, go, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area where I still live. I played baseball in college and got a chance to play professionally before I got injured, but basically played from the age of seven until I was 25. Like that was my life. That was my world. That was, and sports teams, baseball and any other sport are incredibly paradoxical in the sense that it's super competitive, not just against the other team, but internally, right. Which is mm-hmm. sort of crazy, but there's so much internal competition that that would often get in the way and like take down really talented teams. I was a part of is there were so many egos and we were fighting amongst ourselves and everyone wanted to be the best player and get the most attention. And, but when something would shift and we would get more interested in actually being a great team, this amazing thing would happen. 
that it would like unlock something. It's like, oh my gosh, like not only did I play better, it was more fun. I, it was like something happened and it was sort of magical. And the way that I try to describe it in the sort of real world, not the sports world, but when I'm talking to people in business is the distinction between our role and our job. And in a, in a team environment, a corporate environment, for, but any team, any group we're a part of, like your role is what you do. It's like your title, it's your responsibility in a family. It's like people have different roles they play in the family for, you know, you, we, you and I could talk about that psychologically for better or worse, but there are certain roles you think more of your, you know, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a, you know, sister, I'm a brother, but then there's our job and our job, if we're on a team and we want the team to thrive, our job is really to help the team succeed or help the team win. That's our job. And if we put our role above our job, then we start creating all kinds of chaos within the group because now I'm more interested in, no, 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 wait, wait, I, I, I need credit. I, I want, right. And that's a very human thing. There's nothing inherently evil about it. It's just, if I do that and I'm more interested in me and what I'm doing, or even in the, in a leadership context, it's like my team, meaning the group that I'm responsible for where I'm forgetting, we're forgetting, wait, what, why are we really here? What's really the point of this? What's the purpose? And a lot of times with teams, people understand that and realize like a lot of things, oh, that's a pretty simple concept. That's actually hard to practice because that takes a lot of self-awareness. That takes a lot of faith. That takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of at times sacrifice to put the needs of the group above my own personal needs. Mm. And so it's tricky to do, but when we've all been part of groups where that happens and it's more the exception than the rule, but it is a magical experience. It is a, like, oh my gosh. And what's crazy about it is it's self-serving in the sense that usually when we do that, it works out well for most of us, mm -hmm. if not all of us within the group. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to trust and have faith that that can happen. On a community and societal level, it's even more challenging because there are so many different people and factors at play yeah. that having that level of faith and that level of trust is difficult. And then when things happen, as they do, and as we're seeing play out in a very intense way, it's understandable why people have a difficult time trusting the collective. Yeah. Well, and I think in times like this, and I'm, and I want, I'm very curious what your experience as a white male is and what you mm -hmm. feel your responsibility is. So we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. But in times like this, I think that it is, we get so overwhelmed because yeah. we see how um, dysfunctional the systems yeah. are. Yeah. Um, you know, racism has infected the systems, education, healthcare, politics, everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. And racism, social inequality, economic inequality, there's so many problems in the system. I mean, then we can look at pharma the pharmaceutical industry and yeah. the problems in that system. And we were just, that was just starting to get exposed right. when the pandemic, when people started to question not right. that there was a virus, but this agenda for vaccines. And right. so that was starting to come to the surface. And now all of the social inequities are starting to come to the surface. And I think that, not I think, my experience is that it can get very overwhelming because mm -hmm. as an individual, I look at it and go, how am I going to make a difference? Right. And I think that's where a lot of people give up. I yeah. think that's where a lot of people get fatigue in terms of fighting the social injustices. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on right now to talk about this, because I think if we start in our families, in our businesses, in our jobs, if everybody just focused on their community, <laughs> like the yeah. touch points we have, that's how we make a bigger difference in the collective. I yeah. single-handedly am not going to take down the government, 
No. But I can do, <laughs> I can do, you know, ch- make changes in my community, in my family, in my organization and hope yeah. to make impact from there. Like, for example, I have said, said no to some summits I've been asked to do because there's no inclusion. And those are just little things. So I'd love for you to, to expand on that about how we can look at we're in this together and not think that we have to take on the whole world, that we can start where we are. Yeah. Well, I've been actually thinking about that a lot in the last you know bit of time as we've been going through a lot of this. And there's four things specifically that I've been focused on for myself personally. Mm-hmm. And as I try to answer that question to some degree, what can I do or what can we do? Um, it is overwhelming. And I think, look, I do think at some level, the question of what I, what can I do with respect to, if we just talk about in terms of racial inequality, or we talk about any of the other big issues you were just talking about, I do think who we are, you know, our background, our identity, our level of privilege, our level of power in society, all of those things do impact what we can do. Right. I mean, the reality is, you know, Christine, you and I don't have to, and I'm not saying this in some holier than that way, utilize whatever platform we have to talk about these, these things. We don't have to, mm-hmm. I mean, that is part of privilege. You get, we get to choose to some degree mm-hmm. and some people you and I both know personally, as well as others have different platforms and different levels of influence. Some people work inside of systems and governments and police departments and other places. Some people work in the media. Some people work inside of big corporations. Some people, you know what I mean? So I think we have to take inventory a little bit of where am I, mm-hmm. who's around me to your point. And can I start with myself and start with my family and my friends and the people that I work with? But the four things that, that I've been focused on myself, the first one is just listening and learning. And I think that's important all the time, but I especially think that's important now because there's so much to learn and there's so much to understand about what people are experiencing. And I think even, you know, I'm somebody, I was sharing this with you before we hit record, you know, I got my degree in college in American studies with a specialization in race and ethnicity. Um, I'm straight, I'm white, I'm male, but these issues for me were of interest. My sister, my older sister went to college four years ahead of me and got her degree in African-American studies. Mm. We both grew up in Oakland, California, and were white kids who went to public schools. And by the time both of us were in junior high and high school, um, there weren't a lot of white kids around, you know, and I'm somebody, you know, playing sports, like only white kid on the basketball team, only white kid in the entire basketball league. Like, so my experience, and I didn't realize how unique that was quite frankly, until I went to college, I went to Stanford and my friends from home would call and Stanford's 45 minutes from Oakland where I grew up. So it's not far away, but it was literally like, I went to a different planet because Mm. (laughs) it was amazing, but it was so different. And there were kids from all over the country and all over the world. But my friends from home would call and say, Mike, what's Stanford like? And my first response would be like, well, it's cool, but I've never been around this many white people before, (laughs) which was true. And the funny part was I felt in a weird way, like I didn't really fit in because a lot of these kids, the music and the clothes and the things like I didn't know a lot of them. Mm. Right. But it growing up, it was like, I always sort of felt, especially by junior high and high school when like social things become so important. I always felt a little bit like, I'm not really cool. I don't really know the stuff. I don't really have the right, you know, so it was always this weird sense of outsiderness that I experienced personally. And I think we all do to some degree, especially in adolescence, but in a very specific way with respect to my own racial identity, which I've now come to learn. Again, this doesn't make me somehow know what it's like to be a person of color to, I'm still a white man in this world, in this country. And I understand to the degree I can of what that means but there aren't that many other white people, particularly white men that I meet that had 
the same kind of experience in their formative years of really being mm-hmm. a minority, if you will, in the environment in which I grew up, which I actually really appreciate and I'm so grateful for at this moment in my life, especially, but just in general, because it gave me a lot of perspective. And I say all of that to say, even with the things that I learned growing up, the things I studied in school, I have learned more in the last month about some of these issues mm-hmm. than I probably learned in the first 46 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm humbled and grateful. Yeah. And I say all of that because I do think, again, we don't have to, but if we choose to about any issue that's important to us, there's so much to learn And one of the ways I manage my own overwhelm at times, even though there's so much information out there, is to focus on people or teachers or books or sources of information that really resonate with me. And when I find those things to just really try to soak up as much as I can and take that growth mindset approach, because when we're in a place of learning and growing, we're curious, we're open and less defensive about our positions. Yeah. I love that as the number one, that's really my number one right now too, is educating myself because I know if I bring it back to psychology, if I want someone to change fears they have about getting into a relationship, Mm -hmm. I can't just say, well, relationships are safe. You need to change your fears about it. (laughs) I need to go back and educate them on where the fear originated how their issues with their father are impacting this, how there's Mm -hmm. an inner child in there that's still upset. So before there's any changes, before they go out and date or do any of those things, it's, whoa, let's understand how we got here. Let's understand how we got here. And that's such an important piece of this change for, for everything, both for the racism issues that we're speaking about, the social inequities and injustices, and our healthcare systems and yes. our, our freedoms and our liberties that people don't realize are slowly starting to not be taken away, but yeah, kind of be taken away in a yeah. lot of ways. And so there's a massive need to just understand and to research. Absolutely. And I also think understanding and being curious about other people's experiences mm-hmm. across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, just using my example of growing up. So I grew up in this place, incredibly racially diverse Although one of the things, and I still live in the Bay Area and I love it here. And what I learned growing up in a place like this, very liberal, progressive politically, and like every other place that there's a group think, right? You're supposed to think certain things and say certain things and certain things are okay and acceptable and other things are not. Then I went to college 45 minutes away, but with kids from all over the country. And I met people, although it wasn't as racially diverse, there was all of these people who had different beliefs and different, they grew up in different places, different ways of relating to the world. And even some of the ones that I found offensive or I didn't really like at all and got right. I was trying to make my way, if you will, and figure out who am I and what do I believe? And so what helped me at times, even at a very young age was to get curious, like, why do you think that? Why does that scare you? Or what's that about? Just to get curious, because again, one of the things I think that happens, and, and one of the things I've been missing over the last few months of not traveling, I've actually been enjoying being home with Michelle and with Samantha and Rosie, our daughters, and not moving around the country and the world as much. And I've been missing it at the same time because I enjoy it. I love being around people in different places and in different environments because I'm constantly humbled by my own arrogance that I think I know all this stuff. <laughs> and then I'm, I meet people and it's like, wow this person may not check a bunch of the boxes that I think someone needs to check for me to be able to relate to and connect with. And then we start talking and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, 
not only can I totally relate, but I'm learning a ton by interacting with this person because they think really differently than I do. They look at the world incredibly differently than I do. And it's sometimes uncomfortable because again, this need that we have to belong, Mm -hmm. which is so fundamental. And it's like part of, right, we know from Maslow's hierarchy, it's so fundamental. But what we often do, we take the shortcut to belonging, which is we're going to belong with other people who either look like us or agree with us, or we all dislike the same other people or other ideas. And while there is something to that, it's almost, it's like junk food, yeah. right? It's like, Ooh, that candy bar tastes really good. Or that that right. big Mac, but it's like, Oh, after a minute or two, I like, I feel terrible. And that wasn't good for me. And that's not healthy and sustainable. I was after something. I wanted some pleasure. I wanted some taste. I wanted some sensation, but I realized I went for the quick fix which is let's all get together and decide, oh, right. we're right and they're wrong. Right. And it's tricky not to go down those paths, especially, look, it's one thing to talk about that in theory. It's a whole other thing when the issues get really, really deep yep. and really sensitive and really personal and really emotional. Yep. Yep. And I think that's that's so true. That illusion of separation is the deepest human wound. And yeah. it's a collective wound that we all we all have. And in so that in so many ways, that wound is what perpetuates this. Totally. we think we're not one because we look right. different or we think different things. Well, and, and then the, yeah. Ch- yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Cause the challenge though is how do we keep that oneness when we disagree with each other? Right. right? Cause right. that's my, my second, my, my first thing is about listening and learning. My second th- thing that I've been focused on a lot is about speaking up. And this is a tricky one because there's a difference. And I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at this and, and struggling with it in my own life and in my work but also trying as best I can to teach the difference between self-righteousness and conviction. Right. So self-righteousness is I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, Mm -hmm, basically, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. We may not say it that bluntly or that brutally, although in a lot of cases, especially online, people do, right? But it's basically I'm right. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. That's it. End of conversation. Right. Now, sometimes when I talk about let's not be self-righteous, I'm not saying water down your opinion. I'm not saying don't have passion. I'm not saying don't speak up. I'm not saying any of that. It's like, conviction is, I believe this to be true. I am willing to engage. I am willing to, I'm, I'm literally willing to go to the mat with this, with you, but I have enough humility, enough self-awareness to realize a couple of things. First of all, I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think I am, but I might be. My little ego doesn't like me to think, but it's possible in the history of my life. There's been many times I thought I was right only to realize upon deeper reflection or some growth or some input or some something I realized, oh my gosh, I was completely wrong. Even about really important things like related to my business, related to my health, related to parenting, related to marriage and relationships, related to money. I mean, big stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, if we can't acknowledge that we might be wrong, can we at least acknowledge, maybe there's another way to look at this thing that I can't currently see. Yeah. 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 And I think that's huge is, is it's not about right and wrong. It's about seeing through someone else's perception. You and I can look at a similar image. There's all, you know, all those images. Do you see a lion's face or do you see a monkey? Do you see a woman or do you see, and it all depends on the perceiver. And so I think back to the illusion of separation, when we have differences, we can look at, I have conflicts inside myself. There's part of me that thinks this. And then there's part of me that thinks this. There's part of me that thinks I'm awesome. There's a part of me that thinks I suck. I have conflict inside of myself. Totally. And so that's people that have different opinions. They're just reflections of our own difference of opinions inside ourselves. When we chunk it up high enough spiritually, we can see we are all different expressions of the same essence. And on this planet, 
And this may be very controversial to say, but I don't know if on this planet we'll ever achieve total world peace, nirvana type of situation. We learn through contrast on this planet. However, I do think that it can get better. Like, you know, I know you've been married for a long time. You and your wife, I'm sure have conflict at times. It's not like it's total peace. You're totally in love all the time. I know that's true from my marriage as well. However, the way we navigate conflict gets us somewhere. It helps us grow. We appreciate our differences. We don't expect each other to be the same. And I'm just echoing what you're, what you're saying, because I, this is, this is where we need to get to is we're not all going to agree, but I think we can all agree that we want a better world. So let's all agree on a vision and how we want to live in this world. We don't have to agree on our, our opinions, but we have to agree on, on the way we want to coexist. Absolutely. And I think, look, I mean, even using my marriage with Michelle, we just celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. We've Mm -hmm. been together for almost 20 years. And what's interesting is, so she and I both are relatively nice people, right? We like get along with each other with like that, right? And for us, what's been an interesting journey to navigate is that getting pissed off at times and really upset with each other, as painful as that is, has been so important, of course, for our marriage and our relationship, like every relationship, navigating through the times when it's like, hey, you know what, to really speak up. Sometimes for me, that's not the only way to speak up, but I have to get really upset, right? And then I get a little pissed and then I overreact and it's like, oh my gosh, but the benefit of is, oh, something came out that needed to come out that I'd been sitting on or whatever the case may be. And all of us have different personalities, obviously, and different backgrounds. And Michelle and I are very different. But I think about that in the same way. It's like speaking up, you know, conflict and debate, you know, and even demonstration and like really, really making a point for something is super important. And we can all utilize. One of the things I think about though, in terms of the platform and how we speak out or speak up. And again, without kind of sound all holy now about it, it's like my intention, this is where it gets really tricky when we talk about issues, political issues issues of justice, issues Mm -hmm. of race, issues of gender issues, like things that are, um, super intense and emotional and really important is how do we talk about those things in a way that actually opens up a real dialogue and moves things forward? Because I'm always thinking like, before I post anything on social media and weigh into things and my, the nature of my work isn't so much that I'm, you know, weighing in on the, the story of the day, so to speak, but the level to which it's been happening in our country and in our world more recently, it kind of feels as though like we're all being called to say something, to do something, to step mm-hmm. up, to speak up. And it's tricky because it's like, oh gosh, you know, first, is it true? Like, is it authentic? But then secondly, is this going to forward the conversation, right. deepen it, open up, allow people to really think and feel and engage? Or am I simply just going to like, this is where I stand and take it or leave it have a good one. If not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, there's enough of that. And I think at the same time, it's figuring out how do we show up in our lives with conviction, with a healthy sense of conviction and also even having boundaries. I mean, you know, this, and in so much of your work, it's like, look, being open-minded, being curious, being willing to grow, doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. Right. Doesn't mean you don't put up and say, hold on. Nope, not okay. Knock that off. Or I'm yeah. not dealing with that. You know, yeah. I'm not engaging with that. I mean, even online, it's like, I don't get into a lot of stuff, but every now and again, it's like, I'm not responding to that. Like, yeah. I wouldn't respond to that in life. I would just turn away and be like, yeah, I don't have conversations with people who talk to me like that. Yeah. Cause you know what I mean? Like, And it's hard. It, it's yeah. hard. And you know, I, I was sharing with you beforehand that I, 
got bullied by a man last week and I would, the, in hindsight, I, I have the perfect things to say, but in that moment when I was threatened and gaslit and bullied, I said whatever I could to get out of the situation. Right. As much as I'd like to say, I had the courage and the awareness to say in that moment, you can't talk to me like this. And I think that when we look back at the issue, so many people are traumatized Yes. That that's why these things perpetuate. It's hard for people to stand up for themselves okay. or to say, I won't tolerate this because there's so much fear. And so it's right. like, what do I need to say to get out of the situation? And sometimes right. that doesn't even work. So it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, and it's tricky. It's, tr- <laughs> it's tricky, right? And, and even you and I having this conversation, like you would know, and every single woman listening knows the experience of that as a female is different than that, than that experience as a male. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think part of us being open to and aware of other people's experiences, you know, Michelle and I were at a workshop a few years ago and the woman leading the workshop asked us a question. It was a pretty simple question, but it was profound. And it was a workshop, it was about relationships. So there were mostly the couples that were there were all um, straight. So were men and women. And she said, I'm going to ask the men a question. I'm going to ask the women a question. I want the men just answer. And then women answer the same question. When was the last time you felt physically unsafe? Yeah. And just raise your hand for one time frame. It was in the last, you know, 10 years, five years, year, six months. She went through all this down to like, you know, within the last month, within the last week, within the last 24 hours. And the guys, we were all raising our hands at different times. I think I raised my hand within the last year, thinking back to a time like I was on the road at an event in DC and was late one night. I got lost getting back to my hotel. And anyway, then she asked the women the same question. Mm-hmm. And as she's going through 10 years, five years with year, the women aren't raising their hands. And I'm like, what? what the hell's going on? Like, why are they not? And then she gets within the last week, a couple of hands go up within the last 24 hours, almost all the women hands are raised, including Michelle sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. That, uh, there was a time within the last 24 hours in which she felt physically unsafe. And I look at her and I look at the, around the room and most of the guys are doing exactly what I'm doing. We're looking at each other and at the, at the women going like, what, what, when, what, you know, where, what, what? And this was like in a, you know, nice hotel in San Francisco. Like again, stereotypically, I was thinking like, where would these women be that they would be, you know, mm-hmm. all, a lot of my privilege was coming up in that moment. But then I'm like, and the woman leading the workshop said, this is one of the fundamental differences between walking around the world in a male body and walking around the world in a female body. And we almost never talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. I, Tony Robbins did that at his big date with destiny event. I was in there were like 5,000 people in the room and the same yeah. thing happened. And it was like, it's so powerful to see the difference. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why women of color especially are, and I'm so glad that so many of them are speaking up and sharing their experience because they have both totally being in a female body and being a person of color. Right. And I think if we can look at that and listen to that, and again, for me, just as a man, not having to take that on per se, as I didn't do that personally to all of these women. However, people other male people like me have created, right? So there's a way to be aware of what's going on. Same thing as a white person. It's like, can I be aware of white supremacy? Can I be aware of white privilege? Can I be aware of my own white privilege, my own racism? And at the same time, do the work that needs to be done to have more empathy, more understanding, be more mindful of that and use whatever privilege I might have to influence when, you know, the thing is about white privilege, when I first started hearing about white privilege, like it didn't resonate with me because I'm thinking I grew up like single mom, mm-hmm. no money. We struggled. I've struggled at times. Like I thought of the Christine, the guy who graduated with me in American studies at Stanford, who sat next to me at graduation, 
is named Charles Rockefeller. He's literally a Rockefeller. And he was like a good guy. I met him mm-hmm. in school. He was a nice guy, but he's from the Rockefeller family. When I think of white privilege or privilege, I would think about Charles or like, mm-hmm. you're a Rockefeller or you're a Vanderbilt or do you know what I mean? Like that's what, and then I started to realize as I started to look at it more deeply, like, oh, there's a whole bunch of things that are privileges of mine in my life as a white person, as a man, as an American, as someone who's non-disabled, as someone who's straight as someone who's cisgendered, all these things. And it was like, I'm not, it wasn't like I got some kind of, here's a special award you get to get into all these things. It was like, oh, there's all these things that I don't have to consider. Just like there's a bunch of stuff as a man, I don't have to consider Mm -hmm. that a woman has to consider. And it doesn't mean I'm better or somehow I don't have any challenges or issues or it's not challenging for me at times in life. But it's just being aware of that and going, oh, Mm -hmm. there's like a whole other thing going on here that I didn't even know. And that actually to me is about not only the speaking up part, the third thing that I've been really focused on recently is how can I, and how can we all collectively support people and groups that are doing important work to your point, listening to incredibly powerful voices of people, you know, women of color, people in general who have real lived experience and real expertise. You and I were talking before we hit record. It's like, I'm not a, you know, anti-racist expert. I have some interesting education. I have some interest in this topic. I want to talk about these things. I've written about diversity and inclusion and done some research on it for my book, but there are people who are absolute experts in this area. And like with anything, when it comes to health, when it comes to money, when it comes to other things, do I know things about this? Do I, have I paid attention? Have I read some books? Yeah. But like, I want to go to people who are masters, both in their study and their expertise, Mm but also have the lived experience to say, just like we go to mentors, can you teach me what you've learned? Cause you've walked down the path further than I have or differently than I have. I'd love to learn from your wisdom if I possibly can. And if we, any of us who have any kind of privilege whatsoever, white or otherwise can support people and groups that are doing important work and raise that up, not only do we learn and it allows us to speak up in some ways through them, but it also then allows the voices that really need to be heard on certain topics and at certain times be heard. Mm, mm. And what, what's the fourth? The fourth one is really about being willing to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the things I think that a lot of us, and I think sp- especially white people when we're talking about race or men, when we're talking about gender or some of the, like we're afraid we're going to screw up. I'm going to screw up. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm going to get lashed out at, I'm going to get canceled. And I get that these things are real and they do happen. So I'm not trying to minimize that. But I think on a human level and on a personal level, we have to stop being so scared of screwing up in life in general. I mean, you know this and teach this. Your work is so much about like, how do we break through our perfectionism and get over our expectation demands and all, right? But it's like, what if we weren't so scared of screwing up? Yeah. What if we weren't so scared of saying the wrong thing or putting our foot in our mouth most of the time when that happens, right? It's like, I love that saying a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul, <laughs> right? Like I fall on my face. Great. I look like a jackass. I'm completely embarrassed. I have to apologize for it, but you know what? Oh my gosh, I learned. Mm-hmm. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you life for teaching me. Thank you human being who had the courage to give me feedback and call me out or whatever. Like that's how I learned. I heard Brene Brown say this thing the other day on her podcast. She says one of her mantras, especially when she's talking about race or some of these other issues that are really touchy, she's like, I'm here to get it right, not be right. Mm -hmm. So she's like, when I get called out and I get embarrassed, I remind myself, you're here to get it right, not be right. 
And even though the word right always triggers me a little bit, when she said that, it really resonated with me. Yeah, I'm trying to be a better human being. Mm -hmm. That's my intention all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that involves me saying and doing the wrong. Sometimes I have interactions like I did last night with my 14-year-old Samantha where I was being a complete jerk. And then I go back to her later on when I realize it and say, honey, I'm really sorry. I overreacted. I love you. And like, that's how we live in life. That's how we build and repair trust and relationships. We all know that intuitively. I think with some of these larger issues, we somehow think we can't do that there as well. But like, to me, that's how we get to a better place is a willingness to put ourselves out there and engage, even if we screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's shift in our last few minutes here that we have, Mike, let's shift a little bit to the book, because I know there's a lot of people who have companies or are leaders and are really looking at, all right, how do I navigate work moving Mm. forward? And even if you're not a leader, you know, by title in your company, I don't care if you are, you know, the the lowest on the totem pole perceptually in your right. corporation, you still can be a leader and you still can have yeah. a voice. So you talk about fostering an environment of psychological safety yep. and fostering inclusion and belonging, which I think is yep. so huge. Can you speak a little bit about both those things? Well, psychological safety is basically group trust. It means the group is safe enough for what? Take a risk, make a mistake. Speak up. Disagree, speak mm-hmm. up, right? The things we're talking about. I just literally did a session on Zoom this morning with a team and we did this great exercise where people were given an opportunity to be vulnerable if they chose to. I love doing this exercise. I haven't done it as much on Zoom. I'm usually with a group of people in person, but it's like people just spent a couple minutes each just repeating the phrase, if you really knew me, you'd know this about me. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to say anything they didn't want to, but it was an opportunity like these people, this global team of people, and we're all sitting there looking at each other on the screen or just lowering the waterline on the iceberg, which is what I like to call it, of here's what's really going on for me. Here's how I'm really feeling. Mm. And it's vulnerable and it's a little weird and scary. And what if people use this against me? But what's amazing is we were sitting there, people are like tears in their eyes going, oh my gosh, I can totally relate to what you're talking about, even though our experience of life is completely different. And that's one of the things for me about all of my work in this book. It's really about simultaneously appreciating and acknowledging and understanding our differences and knowing that down below the waterline, we're way more alike than we are different. So psychological safety is making that okay. And in inclusion and belonging, ultimately, there's so many layers to it, but it gets down to this fundamental need that we have as human beings to belong. And if you can create a team or a group or a family or an environment where everyone, ir- irrespective of their role or their age or their background or their title or how long they've been there, or the results they've produced has that sense of, I belong here, I matter here. Like, people feel they can relax and actually then show up and really do great work. But if everyone's trying to prove their worth all the time, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult for us to be able to focus on what we're trying to accomplish or achieve or create. If I'm constantly trying to make sure, do you see me? Do you value me? Do you think I'm good? Am I really part of the team? You know? Yeah. Or if we're only focused on profit and goals and all those kinds of things. But a lot of times that's how, do you see me? Am I good enough? Translates like, well, if I make the most money or if I'm like a super top performer, then then I'm good. I'm valuable. And then we forget about people along the way. And that inclusion and belonging is so key. And that's really what I'm looking at in terms of this show and retreats and all of those kinds of things is my number one thing is I want people to feel safe. Yeah, I want them to feel safe because it's hard to grow and learn when we don't feel safe. And I I think a lot of people right now don't feel safe. They don't feel safe. And it's, and it it is tricky because it is, it's an inner journey for us to create that sense of safety. Mm -hmm. And then 
can we create it as much in the environment? I mean, I don't know about you, Christine, but one of my favorite parts of any retreat or workshop, either whether I'm leading it or I'm participating in it, there's usually a moment, especially if it's like a really deep one, we spend a few days together and there's that moment that happens at some point and something clicks and it's like, oh my gosh, I love all these people. I don't even know these people, but there's this sense of oneness and connection and like, we all want to be loved. We want to be seen. We want to, right. And to me, it's like those moments are just reminders with all of the stories that I tell myself or buy into when I listen to the news or whatever, that we're all disconnected and we're so divided and it's so crazy. Like I come back to, yes, I get that those things are happening and those forces are at play and there's some real impact and pain. And the paradox is like underneath that, there's just beautiful human beings, all of us trying to navigate this crazy life as best as we can. So true. So true. One, I think business leaders, especially, it's not going to be business as usual Mm -mm. anymore. So this is a very, very timely book. I think it's, it's great for anyone, whether you're running a business, in a business, have a business, <laughs> married yeah. to someone who has a business. This is the, 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 the kind of business book that we really need. So everybody can yeah. grab it. It's at all the places like Amazon and yeah. all the places. And it's called, yep. we're in this together, creating a team culture of high performance, trust and belonging. And Mike has lots of other great books as well. So <laughs> go check them out. Where can people connect with you, Mike? Best places on our website, which is just mike-robbins.com. Awesome. And what's your, as you step into, you know, the next decade, Mm. what do you think is the most important thing for you personally to do? Trust. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Trust myself, trust people, trust the universe, trust the process, trust God, like just trust. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's way easy to get sucked into that illusion of separation (laughs) when we're in fear, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Trust. That's a good one for all of us. Thank you so much, Mike. I love our conversations. I love the the leader and the man that you are. Mm. Two girls are lucky to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And everybody go check out the book. We're all in this together because we are. We definitely are. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. 